to another Meet the Author. Really got a great session here in store with us today is Karen Hewitt. So Gary, I'm going to pass it right off to you and let us know what we're doing today. Okay. Thanks, Tamara. And welcome everybody to uh, Friday. And for some people, it's snowy Friday. Some people, it's cloudy, it's sunshine. I got rain in Vancouver, so I'm actually quite happy that I'm, we're back to somewhat normal weather. Well, as, as Tamara says, we have Karen with us today, all the way from the UK. And she's going to talk about her book called People Power. And this is a book about transforming your business in the area of safety and well-being. So welcome, Karen. Thank you, Gary. So let me get right in it and ask that big question. So who is this book written for? Who's your target audience? And what needs are you trying to fulfill? Okay, so I'll start with the needs. Um, I've been working in health and safety for about 10 years, and there are two big questions in my mind that I've heard constantly. One is how do we make health and safety relevant? And the other one is how do we make it stick? So those are the big needs really addressed by the book. And there's an additional one, which is probably more of a want, as in a need that people aren't really aware of, is how can we use it to transform the rest of the organization? How do we make it relevant? How do we make it stick? And wouldn't it be great if we could use it to transform the rest of the organization? In terms of who the book's aimed at, well, it's my firm belief that you need to engage all the key stakeholders in the organization if we want to transform it. So it's aimed at C-suite in terms of the overall plan, the three-step formula that I'm proposing, and also aimed at the change agent who is likely to be the health and safety professional in this. So um, it's been very well received by both health and safety professionals and by C-suite and there, it's also of interest to some of the um, heads of people functions and also communications because they've got a big role to play in any transformation. You need to have great comms and you, and it, you really need to understand people. So it's really a, a cross-company collaboration which is why it's aimed at a cross-section across the C-suite. Great, thanks, Karen. So tell me, how, how is this book's approach different from traditional transformation approaches? So I think what makes it different in terms of health and safety is it's focused purely on engagement. So there are some elements of leadership in there, but it's how do we purely drive engagement to improve health and safety? How do we get people engaged around health and safety? And in doing so, um, Engage, health and safety is the outcome, but it can actually drive engagement. So we're sort of answering a bit of a, a chicken and egg dilemma here. Does the engagement drive the health and safety or the health and safety drive the engagement? Um, I don't know about you, but I love a good chicken and egg. Um, we could probably debate that for a long time. But so it, what, what I discovered working in health and safety and focusing on engagement is that it cr creates engagement in everything. And it was a bit of a of an unintended consequence, as you referred to earlier on, Gary. It's um, you know sometimes you don't realise you're going to get that outcome, and then I realised because the stuff I was doing around health and safety was creating great engagement. I thought, how can we sort of document and bottle this and use um, health and safety to drive engagement as well as engagement driving health and safety? If I haven't confused you already with the chicken and egg. You also talked about people 
particularly women, being unrepresented in our industry. Can you share a bit about that? Yeah, so the, the whole approach I took to the, to the book was a collaborative one because the book is all about cross-company collaboration, maybe tapping into some parts of the organization, the untapped human potential, people that wouldn't normally be involved in health and safety. So I reached out to people to get them to contribute to the book. My aim was to get experts in health and safety to contribute to each of the 15 chapters. And so I was reaching out to health and safety directors. And then I realized that actually I didn't know many female health and safety directors. And then I was thinking about, I was aware that within business books, women are very underrepresented. Um, so there are a lot of women authors out there, a lot of minority group authors, but they're not so well represented. They're not so visible. So just by writing a book as a female author, I'm making women more visible. And also what I tried to do was get a gender balance in the contributors. So out of the 15, eight are female. And I was also determined to get a female to write the foreword as well. So Louise Hosking wrote the foreword for it. So it really was, uh, I, I guess, an approach that tried to bring more balance to representation as well, because we know that in senior leadership, women aren't as represented as they could be, aren't as visible. They're not as visible in health and safety leadership either, and they're not as visible in business books. So I tried to go for the triple whammy, mm. we would call it in UK English, if that translates. <laughs> I just want to remind the people that are on the call, if you have a comment or want to raise a question, um, just raise your hand. And then I'm monitoring that. So is tomorrow and so is Karen. And if we see your hand up there, um, we'll certainly let you in and, um, and have your share of the airtime. Well, Happy New Year, Kate. And uh, we all wish 2021 to go away. I remember staying up past midnight to make sure that 2021 did go away. And, and then now we're into 2022. And that's why, because 2021 was called the year of extremes. So what did we see this past year? We had extreme weather with natural catastrophes. Man, we had heat waves, droughts, wildfires, flooding rains, deep freezes. Well, in the last month's show with Chris Clearfield, we talked about meltdowns such as the pandemic, anti-vaxxers, social injustice, broken supply chains, <laughs> digital technology running amok. So the question that I asked Karen as we were preparing for the show is, in light of all this complexity, how do you see your book being relevant and helpful? Okay, so first of all, I'm not an expert on complexity, but obviously I experience it as a user. <laughs> um, I see the complexity all around me. And I think I also see the strong emotions that complexity brings. I think when there's complexity, people find it difficult to understand, difficult to see their role. So that brings about fear and anger. And I see it polarizing people. So I think we saw a lot of polarization in 2021 as well, people taking opposite views. And it reminds me of my years implementing safety culture, safety culture transformation, where I would often hear people say, but our part of the business is so different. And I would say, I know it's different. Let's focus on what unites us rather than what divides us. So I think 
when you've got so much change, so much polarization, it's good to focus, to go back to basics and focus on what brings people together. And it's the basic human needs, really, things like the need to make a contribution, the need to feel part of a community, the need to be treated fairly, um, the need to be understood. All of this basic stuff, really, which is woven into the book. Um, there are some approaches in there which, you know, I reference various bits of psychology, but a lot of it is just basic stuff. What do human beings need? And I think we have a massive opportunity with what 2021 has given us and 2022 is still giving us to go back to basic human needs and what brings us together, what makes us feel good and, and, and just um, taking that collaborative approach to go after what we want, which is, you know, in the context of the books, we want to save lives. Yeah, right. Anybody wanna have a comment to share about um, how your 2021 went? Are you feeling this whole um, rise of populism, for example? One of the theories that I have is how politics and divides are beginning to happen and are some of our basic things, as you said, Karen. And we don't want to take basic things and then have people split and taking sides. Because then trying to get people together for collaboration makes it all much more difficult because of that. Yeah. Okay. You just want to say something, Tamara? Yeah, I, I um I wanted to kind of ask you a question with all the work that you've seen, et cetera, being that you've done, you know, and we're talking about what, what identifying what people need, what have you found is needed in order to help uh, bring more individuals of diversity really into those leadership senior level pipelines? Yeah, I think they need to be they need to be heard and they need to be given confidence, really. I think um, what I notice, um, and it, it's, it's really interesting in a lot of sort of meeting situations and when you've got a lot of people together, there are some people that will be more keen to raise their voice and others not so keen. So it's, um, I, I think, finding a way to to make people feel comfortable having their voice. So I guess we're talking about psychological safety, which actually is, is it's a key driver of high performance according to the Google research. And it's also really important for health and safety because we want people to speak out and say, hey, that's not right. So I think creating that psychological safety is really good for health and safety. And also, I guess, helping bring more diversity and, and bring the underrepresented, uh, underrepresented groups um, further up the, the management ladder. So I think psychological safety is a good focus and not just creating it, I think we all have a role in it. For example, we're all on this call now and whilst um, you know the person that's leading it could be sort of doing their best to create the psychological safety, I think we can all reflect on what we can do to bring the psychological safety as well in terms of what do we need, um, how can we best contribute to that climate. So it's a long, long answer to a, a very good question tomorrow. And just one more um, thing I'd like to, to probe your, your brain on around here is also, do you think that people know, like I know for, for a fact that I never knew that there was a senior leadership pipeline. And so 
it was a struggle to understand how to even get into that leadership space. So how can we help kind of demystify that pathway? Yeah, I, um, I found the same thing actually when I was in organizations. And I think there are a lot of um, people now, there are a lot of organizations set up to guide women. I think it's been amazing um, how many resources there are out there now guiding women. I, I see it all over social media. So I think there's a lot more resources, people are a lot clearer. So it's, it's really become a, a thing that you can go and find out what you need and you can get people to help you. So I think it's just a lot more out there these days. Anybody else got any comments on that? Okay, so let's let's move on and talk a bit about um, the new normal. You wrote a bit about the new normal in the book, and some people prefer the term next normal as opposed to new normal, which is okay with me. So can you share some of your perspectives that you wrote about in the book? Yeah, so ironically, I wrote I wrote the book um, last year, so it was published in August, and obviously I was busy sort of fine tuning it between April and August. So even my idea then of the new normal has changed. Um, what we thought was going to be the normal then is it going to be the new normal now? So, so I can comment on I guess the changes I've seen and the things that are likely to stay with us. I've seen an increased focus on humanity. I think when you're thrown into a crisis, you see the best of humanity, people asking how everybody is, people joining together, collaborating, innovating, because with all the constraints we've got, we're forced to in innovate, we're forced to talk to people. Um, and also because people are experiencing a lot of fear, worried for their health, for their family, um, a renewed focus on well-being um, and a renewed understanding of health and safety, which I think is absolutely fantastic for the profession. And I don't think that will go away. Um, we've also seen a cross-company approach. So companies now to survive through the pandemic have had to set up cross-company task forces. I think every company that I've spoken to has had a cross-company task force. So health and safety has had to work really closely with the communications team and the HR team. So we've almost set up a foundation now for that continued cross-company approach for health and safety and for well-being. And I think there's a great saying um, that if you stretch a rubber band too far, it never goes back to its original position. I haven't got a rubber band right here right now but if anyone's got one just have a go you give it a good stretch and it sort of almost goes back but not quite so I think that's what we're seeing now in the new normal is there's some things that are going, never going to go back for example we've got people that have decided they don't want to go back to things they didn't like about their job they're calling it great resignations people that don't want to go back into the office because they've now discovered that they've been able to get a better work-life balance, reconnect with their families. So I, I think, although some things will go back to the way they were, things will never quite be the same as they were. Also the use of technology as well. You know, the fact we're, you know, able to get together, all of us on Zoom today, it's just, um, there's been really some good things. So for me, that's what I see in the new normal, mainly the back to humanity, the big understanding of how important health and safety is and the cross-company approach. Mm -hmm. 
right? Just out of curiosity, has any of you been kind of observing what we call the great resignation? I mean, where did that come from? That just kind of emerged out of everywhere. So is that kind of like a new face of humanity where people perhaps over the past year, year and a half have recognized that maybe their job sucks and maybe there's better things out there. So all of a sudden like those bonds that you had, like I have to stay with my job because it pays me. You realize that there are other avenues out there. Anybody had a specific personal experience with that, or maybe you just said I've had it and you've kind of left. Um, haven't done that with my family yet, but you know, there's sometimes I'm going like, well, can I resign from my family? I'm not sure if I can do that or not. <laughs> Anybody got comments on that at all? Tom, you're always good for your comments yourself. What do you think? I mean, uh, yeah, I have observed it, that, that people who I've been, not myself, but I've observed colleagues leaving in surprising numbers um, and I think to be fair some of them probably it's brought it's brought the issue forwards but uh, my my kind of concern is that it's representative of the fact that a lot of the issues that we've discussed and Karen's gone over kind of what I would have felt was a very good summary after six to nine months of what we're in now but for example we've just as a group had our third set of what I would call key networking events cancelled and, and people kind of shrug mm. and I work in a very distributed team and quite a distributed community really both I mean I work for the regulator but within ourselves and the sites and community that we inspect regulate we do actually network very strongly and all those networking activities have gone physically in the presence and they've been left with what I would call very dry interactions i mean karen's probably the expert at putting the language around it but i don't think many technical people really sense the difference of an email exchange or a teams meeting or uh, sending someone a big fat report um, and i would have expected leadership and senior management to kind of know the difference but i see the same thing happening and i i just can't see how the culture i think the culture of an organization and a community can survive six months, nine months, 18 months, maybe, when there's a really good cause. But I, I think that there's, um, uh, that there's a sort of a long-term degradation that has to occur if everyone's working remotely. And I'm not sure that, I mean, I've heard people talk a lot about, you know, this great resignation is I've decided that I never like my job really, or actually commuting is much more expensive, both personally and cash-wise, than I realise I'm going to work close to home I think there's some of that but I do worry that actually we're missing the more fundamentals mm. of working in a community that you know you you can work for a long time remotely if you know people well but it sort of tails off uh, I mean I give one sort of specific example which I've touched on is uh, as a group the teams that I work in we used to tend to network with the people that you met if you were in an office or a project you'd see 10 people so you'd ask those 10 people what you felt. Now, because of, um, you want to be efficient. So you don't set up a meeting with 10 people. You don't email 10 people asking a question. Your, your world slowly comes down. It's in a bit like social news, um, the, you know, the uh, social networking. You, you get narrower and narrower and narrower and you end up in lots of little clusters. So I think there's quite a lot of that 
potentially going on and the new normal we need to look more fundamentally at what the cultural issues and cultural effects of it are so i think to ask your question yes i have seen it um and i have seen it explained in fairly simplistic ways which i'm not convinced by i think we need to think more deeply about what the symptoms are so yeah. i don't Good. yeah thanks, thanks tom yeah great great insights from you tom I'd like to welcome Nancy Hess to our show. Nancy's a good colleague of mine and we're doing some stuff together. And Nancy, you've had some experiences with people leaving in the education space. Can you tell us about that? Yes, can you hear me okay? This is a different setup for me. Okay, great. Uh, right at the end of the year, uh, the I, I received several calls from clients that I've worked with for decades. Uh, and this is really with Head, State, Head Start agencies, which is early education. And they can have a number of funding streams. I work with them periodically on uh, staffing and pay, you know, organization issues. And they were all experiencing very similar uh, problems. And it was really uh, related to their their teachers and their classroom aides. This is uh, the teachers are, of course, they were getting mm, they were getting pulled away by school systems that were hiring teachers in Head Start because school systems were, were experiencing these mass resignations. And so, the early education space was really in a uh, uh, you know. Essentially, what was described to me is that every morning would begin with a, a meeting to review all of the calls that they were getting, you know, calls coming in about people not showing up, not in you know, how many classrooms were they going to have to close and how were they going to, I mean, they were just shutting down classrooms and dealing every day with people missing from the, from the classroom. And, and the thing about it was that was so surprising was the what they were hearing from the action, the people that were actually resignating was, it's not worth it, that, that the amount of money that I receive for this job is not enough to cover the cost of getting to work and the uh, you know, food for lunch and all of the childcare related expenses for my family. So <clears throat> what I think is interesting about these resignations is, is I do think there's going to be some repercussions, uh, that, some ripple effect uh, of just, I don't know if we are going to raise minimum wage in the United States. I don't know, something has to give because all of the entry-level workers, they just were saying, you know, throwing up their hands and saying, I can't do this anymore at, for this amount of money. And uh, they've been just sort of sucking it up for a long, long time. And I think they just got to a breaking point where they said, it is not worth it. I'd rather go on food stamps or whatever I have to do than, than to do this every day. And one of the executive directors who uh, I just admire greatly, and she's close to her, her retirement year, she went into action by uh, writing a letter to the federal agencies and saying, you know, I am asking for the same amount of money that I have asked in the in the previous year, but I am doing it with half the classrooms. I want the same money. And she put forth her argument. You know, with my help, we did a report as to how you cannot continue to pay at the same rates that you have been paying for decades. You know, you're just not paying for these positions at a federal level. And so uh, I don't know the the outcome of that yet, but I think that. Uh, her move is, 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 you know, resonates with me in terms of across the board where there's entry-level workers that people are not able to staff 
and uh, there's going to be pressures that are going to come to bear. Um, I don't know what that's going to look like, but I think the new normal is going to be a more active labor class to sum it all up. And I don't know how that's going to take place, but that companies have to respond or they're going to get more active labor organization. Right. We're at, the, we're at the bottom of the hour, so I want to now make sure that we do talk about the book. And the meat of the book, as Karen has written, is explained in three steps, build, buzz, and bake. So Karen, can you kind of give a quick outline what the three steps are? Yeah, and you might be thinking it's something to do with cooking, so I hope I'm not going to disappoint you here, but there are some similarities in terms of finding the right recipe. So the three-step formula is something that I came up with through my own experience working with large organizations. The build is, as its name suggests, it's about what foundations do you need to put in place? What do you need to prepare? And a bit like we design safety in right at the beginning of a project, we'd be trying to design engagement in. So there are a number of steps within the book that you need to do to just work hard before you even communicate anything, which is the buzz stage. You know, how can you be sure of success. And so the, the second stage buzz is all about how do you create a real excitement around health and safety, which is typically a dry subject. People think it's the kind of thing you talk about only when things go wrong. So how do you get people proactively saying, actually, this is quite an exciting topic and I'd really like to be involved. So how do you inspire people to get involved? So that is the buzz. And then you get to the bake part, which is how do you how do you set your engagement up so that it takes on a life of its own, it becomes integrated within processes, becomes a part of the organization, gets baked into the culture. And ironically, the more time you spend in, oh, I like that build, buzz and big. Yeah, the more time you spend at the beginning uh, in the build phase, the more you've already set things up for the engagement to be baked in the culture. Um, for example, if you, have spent a lot of time at the build stage, building partnerships with everyone in the organization, then they will feel involved, they'll have ownership, which means they're more likely to carry your message forward. So that's just one example. Right, okay. What I've just put into the chat panel, and if you look at my screen, and if you maybe go into the speaker view, you'll see the map that Karen has pre prepared. Okay, and like I said, it's on the chat screen, so you can click on that and you can see it. Oops, I just GM that just to Tara. Okay, so let me sort about that. Let me just stick that. Okay, okay, now everybody should have that um, JPEG. All right. Okay. Now, I, when when Karen and I were talking a bit about this map and why we want to show it. I think the main message we want to say here is that we're not asking or suggesting that readers become recipe followers. We really want people to become chefs. So don't look like you can do step one, step two, step three, that you've got to look at all the ingredients that, are, that you're going to be using. And then if I'm and my right, Karen, this really isn't an inside out linear sequential approach but you can do all three concurrently and iteratively. Can am I correct there? Yeah, a bit of both really. So you're right on both counts, Gary. So you can, if you're starting out from scratch, for example, let's say um, somebody phoned me and say, we've got no 
safety culture here at all. I want you to design something from scratch. Then I pretty much would follow this as a linear sequence and an inside out, but there can be some activities that you can do in parallel. Um, for example, you, you would do dream uh, and vision pretty much at the beginning, but then you might be working on commitment, sponsorship and behaviors in, in parallel. But in re the reality is that most organizations have something in place already. They have some kind of culture. They're trying to um, get something good in place for health and safety, but they may only be um, doing a few of these things. So you can use this process really to do a bit of a health check, to have a look, what things do we have in place? What's working, what isn't? And if things aren't working, could it be that one of these elements is missing? So could we focus on one of these elements then? and um, start um, making sure we've got something that's going to be relevant and is going to stick. Okay, thanks, uh, Tamara. You're showing that on your, on your screen. Okay. Um, we don't unfortunately have the time to go through each of the steps in detail. So what I'm going to ask Karen is that if you could pick a key must not fail from each phase, what would they be? Okay, so here we go. Uh, build must not fail, I think, is uh, be really proactive and take your time on building the relationships and remember all the key people. So it's worth going through and look at who might be all the stakeholders that you need to be on board because um, there are a lot of people that can make a difference, not just the operational people. And, um, and make sure you spend the time. It is worth, um, you may be under pressure in an organization to get things done quickly because that's what we do. We, we get things done quickly, but it's worth speaking, spending time here, building the relationships and some win-win partnerships so that they will carry you forward through the rest. So that's build. Um, for Buzz, I think, ask and not tell and inspire people with stories. I think um, people really benefit from having a voice. Tamara mentioned that earlier about, you know, how do you um, get people, um, maybe underrepresented groups, um, sort of with more of a, a line to the top. And I think to get everyone involved and everyone as part of a community, you need to provide that for them to give them a voice. So within Buzz, the way you give people a voice is you is you ask them lots of questions and you listen. So that would be my must not fail there. Ask questions and listen. And then for the bake, um, I guess identify all the touch points in the organization where your engagement message could be integrated. For example, um, let's say you've designed a set of behaviors that you want people to engage around. Where could you embed these behaviors for example, could they, be, could they be embedded when you do business development, when you're, you're bidding for new work um, to show your approach to health and safety? Could they be embedded in conversations between line managers and workforce, for example, performance appraisals? So I think must not fail um, with BAKE would be identify those touch points so that you can really embed your engagement in them. Okay. Tom, I know you had your hand up beforehand. Is it still a relevant question or is it something different? Would you like to talk about that? 
Well, both, of course. It's like, <laughs> I'm not, I don't know whether it's relevant or not. I, I mean, well, the, the question that I was going to ask actually was coming back to the comments. Sorry, I, I can only see her as NJ Hess, which sounds very, but it, I was wondering whether what she was describing, because it's certainly very common, you know, I've got friends and colleagues who have experienced the financial pain, whether it's, whether the financial aspect is a symptom or is it really just the only cause? Uh, I mean, I don't think we know that. And obviously some of the primary healthcare workers in the UK and certainly the early years education and classroom assistance in the UK, they sort of, if you like, paid a lot less than teachers and they got really hammered in COVID because they, they weren't working remotely, they were in school. So they, um, and, you know, on a fraction of teacher salary. So I think absolutely in some cases, money is a major problem. Um, but I think there's a wider issue about respect for society. You know, yeah. the, the people working in schools were getting, they were working as hard and as important, but not getting the recognition as people in healthcare. But that was my other question, my, my first question. But I guess, I, I mean, in reaction to Karen's model, I, I think it's really, I like the, the model and I think it's very powerful, potentially, I was running through examples. And I guess one of my reactions, because I've, I've been on the receiving end of this, I guess, <laughs> I I come from the sort of oil and gas major industry, and I think Karen's probably done it to people like me before. And I think when it, when it when it sort of first goes up and Karen through it, it's like, oh no, not again! Not someone changing their mic, telling me that they're changing my culture. Because um, I remember I did a culture change course a long time ago, and I kind of concluded that you don't change culture; you you can change behaviours, but you don't change culture. Culture is one of the ones you know. If you ask people what they're their own personal culture is it's you know the nursery rhymes they heard the their religion their language all that adds up to culture you can't really change it but you can change behaviors and one of the things that i like from karen's model and actually you were talking it through is it's really understand what's there at the moment before you try to change it because there will be a lot there and i think one of the things if you're looking at safety and I, I used to work for BP and BP got this really badly wrong is they concentrated, if you like, on occupational safety and not enough on technical safety. And I've seen other organizations that swing around and they try and sort mental health, which is a big challenge. And, uh, you know, we've been touching on it. It's a massive short term problem. But if you focus too much on mental health, you drop the other elements. And I've been doing a lot of work with an organization in the UK major organization really an excellent organization very well led and in my area of interest they've been making profound mistakes you know really <laughs> horrible mistakes which are harming people not a huge number but actually they've been very focused in this area on this model so i'm pointing it's on my left left screen they've been doing an excellent job but on the mental health dynamic and i guess that's one of the questions i'd have to karen is how do you keep the balance, you know, mental health on one end, even moving beyond that to motivation, which we were talking about is absolutely vital for early years education. And, you know, early years education is as important to our future as global warming, I would argue. And it's something which we've got very badly wrong recently in the UK, I know. So it's how do you keep that balance across the very broad range of safety? And there's no point in being fantastic at safety as a contractor if you don't get the bids right. So it's, it's recognizing and keeping that balance. I think the challenge, how do you solve the gaps without destroying the strengths of an organization? Because often they conflict, you know, what's good for yeah. technical safety in a very complex technical world 
it's bad for mental health or conflicts maybe not bad so mm -hmm. how do you keep yeah, the balance yeah the way i've addressed it is focus on the common generic behaviors and i dedicate a whole chapter to it in the book actually is how do you do not um, design this sort of longevity into the behaviors because what i did at one organization is i went through all of the um, incidents and near misses in the last 12 months i did a behavioral analysis to look at what would be the common behaviors we would need to define so that we could say this is what success would look like if we, if we had everybody doing this we'd we'd have less chance of people getting hurt but then at the same time recognizing as you say that focuses change one minute it's mental health next minute it's occupational health we need to balance all of these things and in health and safety we've got a huge remit where are the common elements here so if these behaviors you've come up with which ones will drive all of these areas safety occupational health environment as well as in the remit which you know so you can really sort of design it in for the long term so whatever the priorities are no matter how they change you've really got a common set of behaviors that drive something that's more of an umbrella term around human welfare i guess if you were to put a, an umbrella term on it so that's the way i've approached it is recognizing that these priorities would change and trying to design that in which is part of the build phase Okay, great. Malcolm, you've got your hand up. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, Karen, in your book, uh, you mentioned create opportunities, you know, for conversation and uh, around new behaviors. Can you kind of give an example of that? You know, because I'm, I'm with a pretty, uh, I'm with a holdings company. We have seven, we have 27 other companies that we manage, you know, for health and safety. And so we have, uh, our community is pretty widespread, you know, and I was wondering if you could provide some type of an example. Yeah, so what I mean by that is, let's say you've defined these behaviors and there might be seven because, um, or less than seven because the brain doesn't really cope very well with more than seven. In fact, even seven we struggle with or three things to remember. Um, but let's say you've designed seven, um, you've created some posters around them. What I've done is um, created opportunities where you do something really simple. You get, get people together as a group you might put the posters on the wall or on the floor and you get them walking around and you ask them to stop at the behavior that most resonates with them. So you're not saying you will engage with all these behaviors. You're saying, pick the one that most resonates with you and say, tell us why, what story is behind it. And it's amazing the stories that come out. I mentioned storytelling before. And people will say, well, this, this behavior intervention, um, what it makes me think of is this, it's the time when this happened. Um, or this behavior around preparing to work safely. This is really important to me because, so you ask people to put their individual stamp on it. And as soon as you ask people to tell stories or give their why, it creates this fantastic conversation. And so all you need to do is, is just create those, create the time and the space and ask the right questions. And people will engage of their own accord and they'll have some great conversations about what you're asking them in these behaviors really means to them and they start to find their own applications for them. Excellent. Yeah, kind of like doing a teaming meeting where you get everybody engaged, you know, for process improvements. It's almost the same concept. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's kind of like people power, Malcolm. And sometimes we don't know where the power is. So we just got to give them the opportunity to express themselves. And Quite often in those sessions, we just get wonderfully surprised. Didn't even know yeah. that person knew that. 
you know, I didn't recognize that um, that frontline worker actually is, is a CEO of her own house and she runs a million dollar budget in her own home. We don't mm. appreciate those sort of things. Right? Yeah. Tanya, you've had a couple of comments in the chat. One about self-awareness and values discussion. Can you share those with us? Yeah, well, I was just thinking that perhaps um, this example that I had uh, heard from a high-performance athlete might be of uh, interest to this kind of discussion. I had heard that um, this athlete, you know, was expecting to just be an athlete her whole life. And um, she ended up having an injury, which prevented her from engaging in the sport that she expected to be doing for her life. So she uh, took some time. This is the self-awareness thing that I'm talking about. She mm. took some time to think about what was it that I liked about my sport? She really dug deep and figured out, okay, so why did I like this? So it was, it was, uh, so there was a competition. So that was one thing that she realized she liked. So she realized, okay, so whatever I'm going to do in the future has got to involve some type of competition. She also liked the adoration that she got from winning. So she also realized, okay, so I'm going to have to be on some kind of platform where I can have an audience because that's going to be something that is also going to fill me up. She also realized that she liked, um, I think she might have been a skier or something, a downhill skier, and she liked the fast pace of things. So that was something else that she realized that she needed whatever she was going to do, she had to have this fast paced aspect to it. From this kind of self-analysis, she was able to construct a career which played on all of these aspects. So um, she might, she could otherwise have just moaned and groaned and said, oh my God, what was me kind of thing. And, um, but I, I think a lot of this kind of um, area involves this kind of understanding of oneself. And I'm just wondering, Karen, did you have self-awareness as uh, a part of this book and um, just if you could talk to that a bit. Yeah, it's really interesting because what I'm hearing in your example, Tanya, is about core competencies. And when I, you took me right back to when I did my MBA years ago. And um, one of the topics that really fascinated me and I ended up doing a bit of research on, I've forgotten most of it now, but it's clearly, it's clearly stuck in my brain is about focusing on core competencies so you talked about those core competencies that the athlete managed to identify in themselves so then you're looking at other ways to leverage them and that's really what i was talking about within uh, that behavior design that you're looking at when you've got so many different things to look at um, mental health resilience occupational health sustainability what are the core competencies that you would leverage across all these different areas so that you're focusing on the right things rather than getting constantly distracted. So I think, you know, in answer to the question, I think buildings, uh, focusing on what I help organizations to do and what the book helps people to do, I think is focus on the core competencies that can make the biggest difference, but also in the buzz phase by creating that voice for people you are 
allowing them to be more aware of what they're doing because when you give people a voice just by saying things out loud you have these light bulb moments because you're creating this moment for reflection as we're all talking now we're all we're by talking out loud we're having this moment of reflection so i think um yeah so that's what you maybe think of um what with that really good analogy from sport yeah, I, I can see how your build buzz and bake could apply for your own self, your own self improvement and where you want to go. And I think Tanya, what you've done for me is provide some plausible explanations why, why the great resignation is taking place. And I do like the idea is that go back to what really turns your crank and see where that takes you. Yeah, really good point. Tom. Yeah, I guess, I mean, it's it's an observation to what Karen was saying, and it links to a topic which Tanya was looking at earlier in the week, I know that, but I think one of the things here, when Karen was saying actually getting people in a room, putting things up on posters and getting them moving around, this physical interaction does matter to a lot of people. And I guess in this group, we're a self-selecting group. We don't mind talking in abstract on Teams meetings. All those people who rather roll out their sleeves and mill around. And I think that's one of the things that I was thinking, listening to, to Malcolm, having been on the receiving end of sort of large consolidated corporate holdings initiatives, they, they're pretty abstract until someone comes down and walks around your operation area. And I think that's partly that you trust them, that they're seeing your world. But it's also just physically working in a different way. And, and as Karen said, you know, those sorts of workshop formats can have a big impact. So I think the sort of different dimensions of what's going on uh, are really quite important. People who work physically, people who want to see the, see the color of your eyes, see that you can actually work and still make sense of their physical environment. Um, and I, I guess listening to Tanya's things, one of the things that struck me, and I've worked with, um, it's interesting, I've had the same thing with really top military pilots as with some occasionally with top sportsmen, is I think actually their understanding of physical optimization and really conscious coaching and all that gives them some very, very strong skill sets that, that lets them make more sense of completely different worlds. Like, you know, how do they then perform in a completely different job? So in the combination of the the coaching and skill set and analytical approach to improvement from professional sports, but also the importance of physical presence in all this. It's not just talk, it's being there that matters sometimes. And then, you know, segue right back to our the great big resignation. Some of this stuff matters. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What One story I'll share with you is when you talk about being in the room together, be it physical or, or virtual, as you're experiencing, is um, with a group of ESG people. So ESG is short for Environment, Sustainability and Governance. And the question that was raised is, how come we aren't talking to the EHS, HS people? Because they're so entangled. You talk about this, you talk about that, but isn't this all sustainability? Isn't this all governance? And it was a two-way conversation going back and forth where people's, again, the old light bulbs are going off oh my God, you're this separate functional group, we're over here. Why aren't we networking and talking with each other and finding some common ground? And maybe down the road, yes, ESG and HNS will be one. Why separate entities? And if anything, it sparked maybe a healthy conversation 
to kind of go, where can that, where can that go with that? Okay, good. We are getting um, 10 minutes left. I just want to open up one more thing and then we'll, we'll end it off. Is there- Gary, oh, I just ahead. want to bring you, bring to your attention and maybe oh. you, you can summarize it is that we did have a great comment by Jay Dunlop on LinkedIn. So thank you those of you on LinkedIn watching this live. We, we are um, watching the chat there. Did you want to maybe mention that before we leave too? Okay. Um, I guess we can't bring the fellow online, can we? No, I'm no, sorry about okay. that. Okay, that's good. Okay. Well, let me just quickly summarize. It's a, it's a good comment. Yeah. Um, talking about the weather in Florida, which is <laughs> it's always good. Uh, let's get that. Okay, 63 years old. Went to hospital. Okay, contact. Um, okay. All right. So. Um, so thank you, um, Mr. Dunlop. I assume it's a Mr. Could be a Mrs. or a Ms. I'm not quite sure on that one there, unless I'm reading this whole thing well. Um, okay, good. All right. Can you see anything here tomorrow that maybe I missed that we want to raise in front of the um, others? I'm going to put it in the chat, everything for other yeah, people to see. It's in the stuff. chat other yeah. there. Okay, yeah. great. So let me just um, talk a bit about something we're all familiar with, and that's the jigsaw puzzle simile. And Karen writes a bit about that, and I did throw a bit of a curve that said, and this is Karen in the book, like an extremely large jigsaw, there will be lots of different pieces, and at times the task will be so daunting you'll want to give up. With a good set of instructions and all the important pieces of the puzzle available to you, you will find the rightful place for every single piece. And I'd, I'd like those comments, those words. And if you recall from our previous conversations, we term this the complicated environment of the ordered system. So I suggested, well, what about an internet? What if your jigsaw puzzle has pieces missing? How about if the images on the pieces were constantly changing on you and there's no completed picture to work towards. That we would call a complex environment. And having our conversation between Kara and I, we thought, well, the book still applies. So you can still build, buzz and bake, but you have to be a bit mindful that you don't have this idealized future state that you can work towards. So you have to take one step at a time. And that's how we got into this whole idea of taking that circular map and looking at that at iteratively feeding back. You start off building, then you start moving a buzz, then the buzz tells you you got it wrong. So then you got to go back to build, then maybe you can go a bit forward. So it's that old two steps forward, one step back. And the next step that you take may not be straightforward, but it may be at 90 degrees. So that's just a comment I'm making about understanding what sort of context you have and what sort of environment that you're working on. Okay. Has anybody else got some comments before we do close up? Let's get to the top of our, anybody else? All right. Well, as you know, what I'd like to do is end with asking the author, Karen, what would be your three takeaways you would like to leave with the viewers? So Karen, all yours. 
Okay, so um, if we take the example of um, designing a set of behaviours you want people to follow, I think the three takeaways for me would be, um, when it comes to engagement, first of all, you have to give people a what. So you need to say, what do you want people to engage around? So that's why a set of behaviours is really good. It's like a hook that you can hang your engagement on. This is what I want you to get after. This is what we want to create a buzz around. So give them a what. Also give them a why, because um, I said at the beginning that one of the big issues in health and safety is how do we make it relevant? So if you just get a set of behaviours off the shelf that worked in another organisation and just bring those in, people aren't going to see why they should adopt them. But if you can show that they're based on your incidents, your issues, and they're going to make a difference to your life, your organisation, then you give people a why. And then the final one is um, give them a how. Um, show them how they're going to engage or do those exercises where they tell you how they're going to engage with it. You know, let them give you their stories and examples which allow them to get their own how. So the three takeaways, if you're going to go for engagement in health and safety, give people a what, give them a why and give them a how. Okay, <clears throat> nicely put. One last comment before I turn it back over to Tamara is I think last month we did ask um, if any of you want to become a regular guest to let uh, Tamara know about that. And Tamara, I think you're going to maybe create a Google form because I understand that you need to get their uh, consent that you can do that. So that's starting to turn this over to Tamara. Maybe you can talk a bit about what you want to do with that. Thank you, Gary. Thank you so much, Karen, for joining us on this Meet the Author. And uh, Gary, thank you so much for volunteering your time to do these Meet the Authors and navigating us through these books. I know that it, it actually started um, because I didn't have time to read books and I wanted to know what I should read. And um, Gary is a super reader, so he's really helped all of us, in fact, kind of build our reading list. So thank you so much for that because you've been doing it for over a year now. So I just wanted to give a, a special shout out. Now, uh, people have come back and said, hey, can we have a calendar invite in our calendar that's just reoccurring? So I know this is in the slot. That's what Gary was just talking about. I need your consent for that. So I'm gonna send out a little survey just to say, yes, you want it and give me your email. And then I'll send out a reoccurring calendar invite with the link so that um, you won't miss it um, with the email. So, cause I know sometimes my emails go to spam. So yeah, no, that's it. And um, for those of you who don't know, my name is Tamara Paris and I work at Safepedia and we're so glad that we can bring these kind of community discussions to everybody. Thank you for joining. Thank you. Hey, thanks everybody. Okay. Thank you. Until next month. Great conversation. Okay. Bye, Karen. Bye. Bye.